0: Amen. You may be dismissed, young people. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Thank you. Isaiah chapter 9. This morning as we continue our series on His Name Shall Be. And today, today, we're looking at Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just kind of stalling till the children are gone. And you can find your place in Isaiah chapter 9. Well, we've uh, started to see family come in, so that's been a blessing. And uh, Brendan and his wife Emma have been home for a couple days now, and they're visiting with Uncle Wade and Aunt Rebecca today and gone to church with them this morning. And so uh, it's been good to see them. And then later this week, Theo's coming. All right, and if you know, nobody else really matters, right? Theo's coming, and uh, we're looking forward to that, and Emily's been sending us videos. He's giggling and laughing now, and, and I FaceTimed him yesterday, and he's getting get him giggling and laughing over FaceTime, so that's fun. And so the rest, I guess, are coming too. They're all coming home next weekend, the rest of them, and, uh, but Theo's coming. Praise the Lord, and uh, grandkids are awesome, and so we're looking forward to that. And uh, the, funny, the last time I saw him, I made a point I was supposed to be in Ohio, and that morning I got sick, and so all I got to do was wave through a window. That's all I got. So this time, you tell Grandma, he's all mine. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, I've enjoyed studying out these names and understanding a little better about my Savior. And today we're going to look at these two, the mighty God and the everlasting Father. The Bible says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor those words speak of his desire he desires to lead us he has a plan for our lives he wants to invest something into us when the bible says he is counselor it means he has a plan he knows the beginning from the end and he's not just giving advice he has a plan and he has his counsel for us, and it's wonderful. Then the Bible says, we, we, we talked about last week, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is our deliverer. Amen. He is our deliverer. And today, we're going to talk about his deity. The Bible says uh, in our verses that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And then next week, we will talk about he is the Prince of peace, that is his destiny. He is the Messiah. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at this phrase today, there are so many in the world that think Jesus is a good teacher. He was. He was called rabbi or rabbani. And we know that he was a wonderful teacher, the greatest preacher who ever lived. But Lord, that's all they believe he is. But Lord, we want to understand today the Bible proof that he is God in the flesh. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. I need your help today. I pray the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us. Lord, move in our midst. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As before we get into the message this morning, I want to report that last Sunday we had two ladies accept Christ as Savior. We praise the Lord for that, and I just heard the testimony of one of them, the second one this morning, a lady by the name of Zoe, and she was here visiting from Whitby, and uh, apparently uh, at the end of the message, I, I said something in the invitation along the lines that if you had a friend who invited you here this morning, it's because they love you very much, and she broke down crying and realized that her friend loved her enough to bring her to Jesus. And throughout the week, it bothered her. And finally, they got together on Friday night again. And she says, I want you to know that on Sunday, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And so praise the Lord for that. What a wonderful testimony. And another lady that Judy was able to lead to the Lord after the morning service on Sunday. And so and already beginning discipleship with her. And so we praise the Lord uh, for God moving in our midst. And uh, let's look this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> I've already, I'm already starting to lose my voice. You can hear that. and. Appreciate your continued prayers for our family. I finally am testing negative after five weeks. I'm finally past this thing, I think. And uh, my wife is quite sick now, but uh, she says she feels good. But she sure doesn't sound like it. And uh, so continue to pray for us. But I'm just glad to be here this morning and be in the house of the Lord. I, I'm going to tell you something. I I would have just kept singing. And that's how I wear out my voice. I love our worship time at Bethel Baptist Church. I love the singing and the scripture reading and just how it all flows together and the Lord just uses it to stir my heart and uh, I would, I'd still be singing. And uh, I, I realize I'm talking out my time, but uh, I want to encourage you, don't take lightly when we worship the Lord. And there's times where we come and say, well, let's have the song service. Uh, no, it's a worship time. We're not just singing to hear ourselves. We're not singing to entertain. We're singing to edify and to strengthen one another and to help one another. There's great doctrines in these songs. And uh, I I just, uh, that, oh, Lord, my rock, that last verse tears me up, that upon his cross all my iniquity was laid, but he rose. Amen. And he triumphed over the grave. And because of that, I have a living Savior today. And let's talk about him, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, for centuries a Savior had been alluded to. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we read about a seed of a woman that would crush the serpent's head. And I, I really don't know if Adam and Eve understood what that meant. We say hindsight is twenty twenty, and a lot of times we have to see the fulfillment of prophecy before our finite minds can understand what the prophecy was all about. We look at it and we say, oh, that's what God was talking about. Didn't the disciples do that? The Bible talks about after Jesus Christ was risen from the grave, then they remembered, and then they understood the sayings that he had given them. And that he had testified and preached to them that he would rise from the dead. And so uh, there's, there's a bit of that going on in my heart and mind that when I see the fulfillment of prophecy, then I understand what the prophets were speaking of under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. But when we come to Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet Isaiah makes it very clear. He he makes no bones about who this is. He says, a child shall be born of a woman, flesh and blood, but he is God. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace, and the name Prince of Peace was not just some title that was thrown upon him because he would lead in a peaceful kingdom, but it was a, a clear reference in the Jewish mind to the Messiah that would come and set up a kingdom of peace upon this earth. For a thousand years he will rule and reign upon this earth, and the lion shall lay down with the lamb. It will be a kingdom of peace. He is the mighty God. I read this quote this week, and I thought it was good. Jesus is wonderful counselor who deals with your life's decisions. He is the mighty God who deals with your life's defeats. He is the everlasting Father who deals with your life's dimensions. He is the Prince of Peace who deals with life's disturbances. Oh, what a Savior. You know, this mystery of God becoming man is too much for many to grasp. I shared with you a little while ago, I was at the Friendship Festival in Gore Park in Hamilton, or Gage Park, sorry, in Gage Park downtown, and And I I was going through booth to booth and just looking around. My wife was looking at the crafts and things that were going on there. And and I came to the one where it had a Bible quiz. And I thought, well, maybe I can ace this thing, you know. And I'm looking at it. And it's just simple questions, you know, where was Jesus born? And you you push a button and it will light up if you got the right answer, buzz you if you got the wrong one. And so Bethlehem, and I got that right. And, and, you know, where did Jesus die? And Jerusalem got that right, you know. And, And different questions, just simple things like that. But they were, they were trying to lead you on. And then it said, was Jesus God? I said, well, yeah, I know that one. Yes. And I got buzzed. And it scared me so bad, I nearly had a heart attack. I, was, bu- I wasn't expecting the buzzer to go off. I was expecting the green light to go up. And I won a prize, you know. And when it buzzed, I went, what in the world? And when you got a wrong answer, you could actually open a little door, and the story was told, and they'd be, And they explained why they didn't believe that Jesus was God. I want to share with you this morning, you have to ignore a lot of scripture. You have to ignore large portions of the word of God if you don't believe that Jesus has come as God in the flesh. That's what Christmas is all about. Not that just some baby was born that he would one day rise as a great teacher and die on a cross and profess himself to be Messiah. No, that God is come in the flesh. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is God, mighty God, everlasting Father. You say, so how do I grasp that with my finite mind? How can an everlasting father take on frail flesh? How can a mighty God take on the weakness of a little baby? Well, it comes down to the evidence. I said to my wife this morning, I I said, You need to pray. It's a difficult message to teach or preach because I said there's a lot of scripture involved. I said, It'll come across as teaching. And I I said, "I, I, I don't mean to say this in a callous way, but let's be honest, we are flesh. And we can, get, we can get bored and distracted real easily. And, and, and so I know as a preacher, it's my job to make it compelling and, and try to make it, uh, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm just going to throw scripture at you. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit of God will use his word to speak to your heart and move us into a greater understanding this morning. And so let's look at the evidence that the Bible teaches us that God manifests himself in the flesh. I want you to notice, first of all, the testimonies of those who believed. The testimonies of those who believe, and that's easy to do, isn't it? We will listen to the testimony of anybody who believes in something, whether it's a product or whether it's a, a favorite type of car. You know, there, there are some people that will only drive Fords, and there are some that will only drive Chevys, and there's some that, you know, they've, they've got it in their heart and they believe, and if you were to ask that person, tell me why I should buy a, drive a Ford, it's because they believe in it. They've had good experiences with it. They like the the way the warranties work and the service department works and they've never had a bad experience. So when we hear the testimony of those who believed, it it just is natural for them to give a good report. So you might say, well, I've listened to believers before. I've listened to those who go to church and those who profess the name of Jesus Christ. And that is not a spectacular testimony because they're already sold out in their hearts. I just want to mention to you today that's only a small portion of the proof that we will look at. But notice, first of all, this morning, those who believed. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to give you a couple other verses while you turn there. So when we think about the testimonies of those who believe, first of all, I want to mention the disciples. The disciples. The disciples believed the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They, they followed him and they served him and they worshiped him and they glorified him and after he died and rose from the grave, they went out and preached the gospel and told people about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, uh, one of the disciples named John said this about him, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it doesn't take much stretch there at all to understand that the Word is Jesus Christ. The Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's a clear reference to Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the word or the spoken or the written word of God because it does not dwell among us. The word of God was Jesus Christ who was in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And not only that, we beheld his glory. He is a person. He is God in the flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Peter would say this about the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so we have the testimony of the disciples. But I want you to see in John chapter 20 and verse 20, perhaps one of the most clear testimonies of a believer of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26 with me. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord... And read those next two words together. My God. Thomas believed when he saw the risen Savior. And Jesus said, put your hands in my side and touch the prints on my hands, prince. He says, my Lord and my God. He believed that Jesus was God. But here's the interesting thing about believers. They weren't just disciples. Some of the believers were detractors of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about a time when the Lord Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross and he would bow his head and die. In Matthew chapter 27, we read the account, and I won't take the time to turn there, but let me read it to you. And I saw something in here I've never seen before. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints were slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, when the centurion, let me stop there. What nationality was the centurion? He was a Roman. How many of you believe that the Romans were really impressed with Jesus? Romans had lots of gods. They had seen a lot of strange things happen in their midst and in their temples. They said, why is that? Because Satan has power too. And they didn't believe in this Jesus, but I'll tell you this, Jesus made their job harder. Because everywhere he went, multitudes would follow. Thousands of people would gather on a hillside and for an oppressed people that the Romans were trying to keep in order, this was a problem. These Romans, though they did not have anything personal against Jesus, I'm sure they did not like the chaos that he caused and the uprisings in Jerusalem and all the things that were taking place around the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says the centurion, listen to what he said, and they that were with him I'd never noticed that before. You see, what do you mean? Listen, as I read on. Saw the earthquake and those things that were done, listen, they, plural, feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. Let me say this. I always thought that there was one centurion that testified that this was the Son of God. That's not what the Bible says. It says the centurion and those that were with him. I believe there's probably a bunch of soldiers there. And the Bible says they witnessed it and they professed truly this was the Son of God. Not only did his disciples believe that he was God in the flesh, his detractors did as well. But there's another testimony in the Bible of those that believed. You say, who is that? It's the demons. Think about that. The demons in hell, they believe and they tremble. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5 and verse 6 But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him, talking about this demoniac of Gadara. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. The demon that possessed that man from Gadara, the demoniac that cut himself among the tombs, said, He is the Son of the Most High God. In Luke chapter 10, we read of 70 disciples who went out to evangelize, and when they returned, they happily reported that even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They knew the name of Jesus and were defeated by it. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 23, we read, and that there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who who thou art, the Holy One of God. When we're talking about the believers who profess that Jesus is God in the flesh, we're not just talking about the disciples. But his detractors and the demons of hell also know him to be God. I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only the testimony of the believers, I want you to see the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of the Word of God. Now, we find these things in the Word of God, don't we? These demons, these disciples, these detractors. But the Word of God itself presents a very compelling picture to us that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We read, first of all, of the prophets. We've already read to you this morning, Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Hundreds of years before Christ would come, he would be called God. He was deity, he was God in the flesh. We read in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, we read in verse 11, as John the Revelator, a prophet of God said this, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Are we starting to know who this is? The one that rides upon the horse, the one who returns in power of glory, his name is the word of God. And John had already said, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was made flesh. He is Jesus. And the Bible says, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Boy, well, I'd love to see a movie of this. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword and with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Can you imagine if God would put this on a big screen in the heavens for us to see and all the politicians and the dictators and the, and the atheists of the world could sit down and see the coming of the Lord. How it would turn so many hearts. Notice what he says next. This prophet John And he hath on his vesture and on his thighs a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We're still talking about Jesus Christ. He's prophesying of the return of the Lord. Look what he says next. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. When John the Revelator is speaking of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what we call the marriage supper of the lamb he says gather yourselves for the supper of the great god. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is God. Amen. Told by the prophets, but also told by the preachers. In 2nd Peter chapter 1 we read the testimony of Peter the preacher. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that title. God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter proclaimed him to be God. The apostle Paul proclaimed him many times to be God. He said this, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He said again to the church at Colossae, for in him, Jesus Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Philippians chapter two, he told the church of Philippi, he thought it a robbery to be equal with God. In Titus chapter two and verse 13 is perhaps the most compelling message of the apostle Paul when he said this, looking for that blessed hope." and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. We've seen the testimony of believers. And we've seen the testimony of the Bible. But I want you to see, thirdly, the testimony of his birthright. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The testimony of his birthright. I was looking for a word to alliterate and keep it all the same, right? Believers, Bibles, and birthright. You say, what do you mean by birthright? His DNA. If he is the son of God, he is God. And I don't mean in the sense that we are sons of God because we are adopted. An adopted child does not share DNA. But he is a son of God. God. Because he's the only begotten son of God. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And so he bears his image. He is God in the flesh. Notice what it says. The testimony is his birthright. I'm going to read a passage to you before I get to Luke chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the angel Gabriel. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, In a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her, listen, is of the Holy Ghost. No other child can claim that. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold a virgin shall be with a child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Perhaps there's no other compelling argument than this, that he is Emmanuel. God is with us. He is God in the flesh. Luke chapter one, you're there already. Look in verse 26 with me. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. In Matthew 1, we read about Gabriel going to uh, Joseph, and now he goes to Mary, or he went to her first, to a virgin espoused a to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be <clears throat> and the angel said unto her fear not Mary for thou hast found favor with God behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus he shall be great and shall be called listen the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He was God in the flesh because his very DNA. Was of the Holy Ghost. He was begotten of God. The testimony of his birthright, and we see first of all the testimony of his messenger, Gabriel. But I want you to notice secondly this morning the testimony of the Messiah himself. We're talking about his DNA, who he was. Not only did the angel proclaim it, but Jesus himself. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Make no mistake about it. When Jesus said, I am, that was not a coincidence. That was not a poor choice of words. That was Jesus Christ measuring very carefully by the Holy Spirit's power what he would say. He was saying, I am. Just like the burning bush as Moses had to slip off his shoes, and he asked that bush in the voice of God, who shall I say sent me? And he said, I am that I am Jesus is God by his own testimony we see also in John chapter 10 he said this I and my father are one conceived of the Holy Ghost called the son of God Jesus had the very DNA of God the biblical record of those who believe Jesus was God is undeniable We've talked about the believers, his disciples, his detractors, the demons of hell all believe he's the son of God, that he is God in the flesh. We've talked about the biblical record, the prophets and the preachers. We've talked also about his birthright, his DNA, the messengers, the angels that would come. And by the way, the Bible says in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, that I am Gabriel sent from the presence of God. That's who it was that proclaimed that Jesus would be born of the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin as a child of God on high. Then we see the testimony of the Messiah himself. It's undeniable. But you say, well, that's if you believe the Bible. You know there were others who believed? There was a first century historian whose name was Josephus. And I, I wrote out what he said. Listen, He lived around the time of Jesus Christ. He witnessed some of the things that took place. He saw the death of John the Baptist, and he mentions Christ two different times. Now, he says this. This is a direct quote from his works. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth With pleasure. Sounds like he was a believer, doesn't it? He called it the truth. But I like what he said here. If it be lawful to call him a man. What's he saying? He may not have understood the ramifications of him being God in the flesh or the Word made flesh, but he thought this can't possibly be a man. He is a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews. And many of the Gentiles, listen, he was the Christ. The one who was sent of God, the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. He says, "So well, why does it matter? Why can't I go to that church that doesn't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Here's why it matters, and I'll give you three things quickly. Number one, it testifies of God's love for you. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, I believe that maybe God created the heavens and the earth and he set everything in motion, but he just kind of left us on our own after that. No, he didn't. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he came himself because he cared. Oh, he might have looked through the heavens and found an angel. He could have sent Gabriel not just to, uh, and, and listen, who are we to argue? You say, well, that, uh, Gabriel was. You say, well, you're all theologically wrong. Gabriel could have never done it. Hey, if God wanted him to do it, he could have done it. That's up to God, not me. That's God's business. I understand the ramifications that it had to be a perfect, spotless lamb. It had to be a God in the flesh. I understand all that. But God could have chose whoever He wanted. But instead, He came Himself. And he thought an odd robbery to be equal with God, but he took upon himself the form of a servant, the son of man, God in the flesh, and died for our sins. It testifies of God's love for you. Think think about that. God who created this world also cared enough to redeem this world. Number two, it testifies of God's daily personal involvement in our lives. I'm so glad that he didn't just save me, but he also sent his Holy Spirit into my life. And he cares about me. I don't have to guess. I, you know, I, I get kind of tired of these, these bumper stickers that say, only drive as fast as your guardian angel can fly and stuff like that. We're kind of, we're, I mean, as, as a, the body of Christ, we're pretty ignorant about the whole doctrine of angels anyway. And, and, I, and I, I believe that the, the, minute the angels are ministering spirits. I believe that. The Bible talks about how children and angels watch over children and I get that I understand that. But listen, an angel is no substitute for God himself in dwelling in my heart. The spirit of God being with me. And so I have the daily presence of God in my life and and I can know he's a personal God and I don't have to wonder what is that presence, what is that that moves me during a preaching service, what is it that brings tears to my eyes as we worship a holy God. It is the spirit of God within me because God is here, Emmanuel, God with us. It testifies of God's love for you. It testifies of God's personal involvement in our lives but it also testifies of God's continued watch care over you. Listen to what he said. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You don't have to worry tomorrow morning if you get up. We've heard three times this week I've received bad news about somebody going to heaven. Bad news from our perspective, right? But precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we hear that news and our hearts grieve. But I don't have to wonder, was the Holy Spirit there till the end? Did he guide them all the way home? Is the Holy Spirit with their family right now? Is he here comforting me? I never have to wonder because he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He said to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always. What a wonderful promise. I want you to know today that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He was Messiah. He was come to save the world from their sins, but he was so much more than that. And I don't mean to to, to limit God when I say he was Messiah, but I want you to know he wasn't just a man who died on the cross, he was God who died on the cross. It was God who took upon him the sins of the world. God who was made sin for us, paid our price when he shed his blood, the very blood of God, that we might have eternal life if we just believe in him. Listen, this friends, this Christmas, We are not just celebrating any baby. It's not just some story of the founder of a religion 2,000 years ago. It was the moment when heaven and earth collided and God was made flesh and dwelt among us. He is God. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts with it this morning. I pray, Lord, that maybe... He would just solidify this idea in our minds, this this very important Bible truth. There are a lot of people that love Jesus and worship Jesus, but have no real concept that He is God. He is part of the Holy Trinity. He was there from the foundations of this world, He was there at the creation the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, as we come to this invitation time and speak to our hearts, and maybe there's somebody here today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to them today before it's eternally too late. Bless us now, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Doesn't get much more clear than that, does it? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into the glory. Listen, friend, you know Jesus as your Savior. He's not just some religious prophet. I'm not asking you to call upon Muhammad or some other prophet of some religion today. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is God in the flesh. He alone can save you. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what Peter preached in Acts chapter four, but it is the name of Jesus. Why? Because he is God. Do you know him today? That's a wonderful thing to know that because God was made flesh and dwelt among us, we can have a personal relationship with him. We are joint heirs with him. We are born and adopted into his family. We can be called the sons of God because of the wonderful privilege of knowing Jesus. May there's one here today say, "Preacher, I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. I've never repented of my sin. I've never cried out to him and asked him to save me." And I. I need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we help you today? Can we help you? Is there one say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. But would would you slip up your hand right now? Let us help you today. Is there one? Pastor, would you pray for me?